creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need A creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Now, unfortunately, for most of us, building a successful creative practice means swimming into the dirty waters of social media and everything that that entails. And recently, I was sent a question by a musician uh, who makes really great indie folk uh, tunes named Olivia Rafferty. And she brought up something that I think hits the nail on the head of why trying to succeed on social media for so many of us as creators and artists and illustrators and musicians uh, just feels impossible. Hi, Dr. Pizza. This is the 20th time I've recorded this. It's Olivia Rafferty, a singer-songwriter from the UK, and I would like to talk to you about social media As a songwriter who likes to dabble in illustration, collage, motivational content, and sometimes just pictures of me jumping up and down, I sometimes find it hard to remember to fit my music in the picture. And when I do post my music, it never performs as well as the other stuff. So here's the bigger picture. I often feel like on social media, we have to be comedians and cultural commentators and hot take havers or curators in order to like Trojan horse our actual art into people's lives. It feels like we have to do something other than the art in order to get people to even consider looking at our art. And I would love to hear your take on this and how you feel we can strike a balance between sharing what we make and also providing value to other people. Man, that hits hard. It stings because I feel like I know that I feel like that very often that I'm going to have to redefine who I am in order to become someone who can succeed on social media uh, and that I have to do that in order to get my creative practice where I want it to be. And if you have ever felt like that, I just want to encourage you that there might be another way that doesn't involve becoming a different person. And that's what we're going to dive into today. Some practical stuff for the new year, all about social media, growing your audience there and engaging with them there and doing so without losing your soul. All right, let's do it. we jump in, I got to tell you about this other creative podcast. So whether you are new to Creative Pep Talk or you've been listening for a long time, there's a good chance that you're searching for extra creative fuel. And so I'm excited to tell you about this podcast. It's called American Masters Creative Spark. It is a Webby award-winning podcast from PBS. PBS makes good stuff. They know some creative things. And they have a new season of American Masters Creative Spark. It just dropped. And it's definitely worth a listen from first cow director Kelly Reichardt, uh, up and coming actor John David Washington, to Pulitzer winning novelist Jennifer Egan. Host Joe Skinner taps into the minds of artists and icons across disciplines. Follow American Masters Creative Spark on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen. Uh, and then you can send us a thank you later when you're when you're creatively sparked out of your mind. Go check it out. Yeah. Another quick little heads up. We're just starting to book speaking engagements for me in 2023. Uh, a big part of my creative practice now has become giving live creative pep talks to creative teams at places like Warby Parker, Sesame Street, and Starbucks, and also creative agencies like the Mars Agency, and then also to schools and students. There's not really much I enjoy creatively more than live storytelling in real time and getting to take some of the things we talk about on this show and then, uh, and even more than that, into real live spaces like I have started to do again. If you are interested in booking 
one of those, go check out my website, andyjpizza.com to learn more and you can contact me through there. Hope to see you in 2023 and um, yeah, let's get into it. thing to get right with social media as a creator is to redefine what you mean by social media in the first place. Quit trying to play the social media game and make social media work for you. So instead of trying to become what TikTok or Instagram or Twitter wants you to be, instead of redefining yourself for what works on social media, let's redefine what we think of as social media so that it works for you. Let me explain what I mean by that. So instead of asking yourself, where are the people on social media right now? What's hot? What if you ask yourself, where do people typically discover the type of thing that I do? So in this case, we're talking about music, but we're just using that as a case study. It could literally apply to any type of artist or creator or entrepreneur of any kind, really. So just ask yourself, don't say, where are the people? What's the new hot thing? Ask yourself, where do people genuinely discover the type of work that I create online and define that as social media? So for you as a musician, it's probably Spotify. But my guess is, and from what I can see on your music profile, you don't treat Spotify like social. I'm going to say social so many times in this episode, and it's going to be a a hurdle. Uh, I end up social on social media. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I had an accent too. Social media. It sounds, I don't know, vaguely Irish. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't look like from your Spotify profile, uh, you only have a few songs on there that you're using that as social media. And that's pretty normal, I would say. Like a lot of artists, a lot of musicians don't use Spotify as social media because it's technically not social media. However, I think it's incredibly important to think about your creativity as a type of creative juice and be aware of what kind of jug do people drink this type of juice from? Because you really do need that creative juice, creative jug fit. And if you force wine into a solo cup, it, look, there are exceptions to the rule. There are times when musicians blow up on TikTok, but they are massive exceptions. If you think about all of the artists, all the musicians that you have discovered over the past five years, where have you discovered them? Like what, is it from a solo cup of TikTok or is it from a wine glass of Spotify or, or Apple music. Like where are you discovering those things? That's social media for you. And in a second, I'm going to talk about how some musicians really utilize Spotify in this way to seemingly really great effect, but yeah, you're not going to drink wine out of a solo cup every night Sure, on occasion, there are exceptions when you went to a party and nobody had a bottle opener and you had to open the wine bottle with your key and then nobody had wine glasses, so you're drinking it out of a coffee mug. Like, yeah, that was great. But if you tried to replicate that every single night, something would be maybe not quite right. Um, like you might have an alcohol problem if you're opening a wine bottle with the key every night. And the same goes for, you're going to have a problem if you're trying to get people to drink that type of creative juice from the wrong jug. And so for you, I would say Spotify is social media. We're going to get to some different types of creativity and different formats in a second, but let's just dive into this and concentrate here as a little case study for a second. Now, the reason I'm assuming that you don't use your Spotify as social media is that I know that you did a 
100 song in 100 day challenge on social and you wrote tons and tons of songs, but on your Spotify, you only have a handful of songs published. And I try to think about like why that is. Now I know I have musician friends who, you know, they talk about the the different aspects of mixing, mastering, just all the things that go into publishing on Spotify. Um, I know that there are more hurdles there than there are posting a JPEG to Instagram. However, uh, I don't think that's why at least you don't have more of those 100 songs on that page. My guess is that it has more to do with perfectionism. Now, every artist grows up, every musician grows up wanting to be like their heroes, at least from my experience, and they want that perfect back catalog with no missteps or mistakes. They want the Radiohead or the Sundays, like the perfect like few albums that were just chosen so perfectly. But for a second, I just encourage everybody listening to this to just forget about the work of your heroes and how they did it. Like, however they forge that path through the wilderness, like that path has become well-worn and now it's just a huge line of people. And quit thinking about those heroes and instead think about your peers. How are they doing it well? How do things work today? Do they treat their Spotify like this perfect discography, this back catalog of like perfectly timed and dropped meticulous albums or do those people's Spotify feels more like if Instagram was for music instead of images, but it's not just for musicians that, you know, perfectionism is the hang up. It's why sure. It's why a lot of artists don't use Spotify like social, but I also think it's big. It applies to all types of artists because we don't want to repeat ourselves. We don't want to make a mistake and we don't want to put out imperfect stuff. But I got to tell you, nobody's listening. Nobody cares. Like my favorite bands have songs on Spotify. I've never heard. Like, I mean, people I'm diehard for, right? Like I don't catch every single thing that they produce. And that's okay. So if it's not that great, no one's probably going to hear it anyway. And if they're really super crazy fans, they're going to want all the different pieces, right? Those are the only people that are diving that deep. And so I thought we could look at one of my all-time favorite bands uh, who I feel really does use Spotify more like social media than a discography of meticulous album crafting. And that person's Waxahachie who you've probably heard me talk about on the show. I'm just a super fan, man. I'm one of those that like Waxahachie and Katie Crutchfield falls into that category where you've listened to the music and it's resonated so deeply with you. You're convinced like, I know this person, like, (laughs) you know, it's embarrassing, but I just, I love her energy and I love her songwriting and her, and I've been following her creative journey since at least 2013 uh, with her second album just a huge fan. But her first album was called American Weekend. And it's almost sounds like a collection of demos. It's really lo-fi, fuzzy, acoustic singer-songwriter stuff. And I'm a huge fan of that album. And I think it illustrates one piece that whoever you are, wherever you are, is something you can learn to do on social media to great effect and it's frequency. And the only way you're going to be able to release stuff with a consistent, regular frequency is if you release stuff like that album, American Weekend, which is rough, which is lo-fi, which is not your best production. It's not the best thing that you could produce at any given moment. But what I do think it is and why I think it's so successful is because it has the main thing as the main thing, which is her songwriting and her performance of those songs. But ultimately it's the songwriting. It's the storytelling. That's what I love about Waxahachie. And it's all there. Sure. It's fuzzy. Sure. There's only one instrument Like the, sure. It's not her best album. It's not her uh, compared to the others, um, in, in several different ways, but at the heart of it, the main thing is the main thing in order to do that. 
you got to have a sense of what is the main thing that I'm doing here? What is the thing that makes my work special? And then bet everything on that. You know, when I make a podcast, that's what I'm doing. Like not every podcast is as good as the last or as good as the next. Like they're, they all kind of fluctuate in whether they're A's, A minus or B plus. I'm not going lower than that. I'm never trying to go lower than B plus, but no matter what they are, there's a standard that I have of it has to have this thing. And so for me, that's, you know, we've been like working on taglines for the show just for descriptions and like Apple, Apple podcasts and stuff like that. Um, and for me, it's like an insightful story and actionable strategy that I really believe in that I'm excited about. If it doesn't have that, I'm not, I can't have an episode. But if it has that, I can build around that and I can work with that. And so what is the main thing for you? So if you're a producer, maybe it is the production is stellar, but you don't even have lyrics on there. You don't even have uh, vocals or, you know, it's all digital, like whatever it is. Figure out what the main thing is that you know that you can consistently pull, uh, pull off and put out and make that main thing the main thing. And then everything else, like as you get more established, you'll have more resources, more time. You can up it as you go. It doesn't have to be the best possible thing you could produce at any given time. And it's really important too for the second thing that happens on social media that I see people like Waxahachie do is that frequency is not just like I can feel the pushback of artists being like, look, uh, it, it's unnatural to be making that much work and pro producing that much work and putting it out in the world. And um, I'm not calling for you to be a robot of producing ridiculous amount of work in such a way that it's killing the work. I'm asking you to do it because it helps the work if you find the right sweet spot for you. And so the second thing that I see Waxahachie doing on social media or on Spotify as social media is what a lot of artists do successfully on other platforms, which is learning. They are testing. They are putting stuff out that's informing what they do. And so one of the best things you can do on social media, one of the best tools is to use it as how the stand-up comedians use a, a club. They don't only do material that's perfect for their special in those places. They do stuff where they're testing out the creative juice, creative jug fit, so to speak, in terms of is this material fitting with my audience? And at the same time, they're trying and stretching and doing new things. And they're, they're allowing themselves to really explore the space, you know? And one example of that is, Waxahachie appears on Kevin, uh, with Kevin Morby, her boyfriend, I don't know, her partner, who's also a musician, uh, on a Jason Molina covers album. And she talks about how those kind of little experiments of trying other people's songs and trying different styles actually taught her that she could sing in a way that she didn't know was possible. And it led to what to her was her breakthrough album, which is her most recent St. Cloud. And that's my favorite as well. Um, I've listened to that album a billion times. Boy, and billion. she she stumbled into that by trying things, by producing things, by putting stuff out there and not maintaining this meticulously crafted narrative of exactly the same output and style like artists used to do back in the day. And so the frequency helps with the learning. And then the third thing that you can do through Spotify, if you treat it like social media, is use it as a place to collaborate. Waxahachie does an incredible job with that. She just released an album uh, under the band Planes with another musician, but it also appears on her page. And it's a little bit different. It's phenomenal. Um, and guess what? Putting stuff out like that means... One of those songs was on Obama's favorite songs of the year list. And it means that all the people that listen to this musician that she collaborated with sees that come through on their Spotify page if they follow that page. And she does collaborations with the band Whitney, who I'm also a huge fan of, and 
collaborations with Kevin Morby and she's done a few other ones with other musicians and she's taken advantage of Spotify as social media by using it as a tool to collaborate. And that third one is the most important one. I'm going to say this all the time on this show. There's nothing, there is nothing more important than what some people call networking. I like to call it work netting. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just made that up. Um, but I, I don't call it anything other than having fun with people who like to do the kind of stuff that you like to do, learning from them, making stuff with them, connecting with them. If you're not doing that, I really genuinely feel if I talk to somebody and they want to create a creative practice, a thriving creative practice, uh, they want to be a career creative and they are not collaborating with other creators. They are not going to places where people like them are consuming the kind of stuff they like and making the kind of stuff they like. And they're not making and connecting and collaborating with those people. They almost certainly do not have a chance of building a creative career. And so if that's you, realize when I say that, I am aware of that is a creative journey in its own right. Making friends is hard as an adult. Connecting, finding people that you're excited to work with, uh, working out the details of how are we gonna release it? How's it gonna, what's the name? Is it, you know, all those things. I understand that that is a huge ordeal, but it is, in my opinion, the number one most important time that you will spend as a creator. Why? Go back to where we started on this rant. <laughs> where do people discover your music? Where do people discover your work? They discover it almost always through other people. And often that looks like being featured on someone else's song. It looks like collaborating with somebody who they already like. Uh, that means you get on radars of people that hire those people or people that feature those people. And if you are not willing to do that messy social business of, of trying to figure out people that you want to work with, I really don't think you can plan on having a creative practice that, that is thriving. I think you could be the exception to the rule, but that's literally like, um, like that Southern preacher, Andy Stanley's calls um, planning to be the exception. Like planning to be the exception is not a plan. It's plan at your, it's having your financial plan being to win the lottery. And so um, that is the third way that you could use Spotify or any place online uh, as social media, whether it's intended to be used that way or not. <laughs> Okay, just in case I am losing some of you illustrators, designers, writers, what have you, I think that there is an equivalent for all of you as well if you're willing to be a little bit creative about it. Essentially, illustrators, what if instead of pouring all your time into Instagram and complaining about the algorithm and video, and now I got to be a stand-up comedian and get in front of the camera and do dancing and all that kind of stuff, which... By the way, I relate to, I'm not, I'm not giving you a hard time, but instead of doing all that, what if you said like, where is the easiest place or where's the place where you have discovered new illustrators uh, more frequently? For me personally, if I'm looking for the kind of creative juice that is illustration, I'm going to open the creative jug, not of Instagram anymore, but of Pinterest. And the amount of stuff that I can discover on there is ridiculous. So what if you used Pinterest as social media instead of uh, Instagram or TikTok or, or what have you? Yeah, it's less sexy. Yes, the masses aren't there per se, but we are not looking for the masses. You're looking for particular people that you want to connect with. And what would it look like if you spent an absorbent amount of time trying to build your practice in a ecosystem like Pinterest? Like what if you did collaborations with artists that were, you know, built for particular Pinterest folders of collaborative pieces. And then every time people search that illustrator, your stuff comes up too. Like there's a million different ways to be discoverable in that place. 
in a way that is so much more tailored to the type of creative juice that you produce. And I think the same goes for like designers. Like what if you think of social media differently too? What if you redefine it? Maybe you don't go to a different platform, but what if you just redefined what social media was for you by using Instagram as a portfolio? For me personally, I've been thinking a little bit more like that. I've been pinning, I've been working on these pens. You can pen posts now. And honestly, in my opinion, your Instagram is as valuable as your website in terms of portfolio. But the problem is, as you're posting stuff, some of your best work is going to get buried. And so what if you redefined what you think of as Instagram or what you think of as social media and instead define it as the best place to see your best work and you created a portfolio post of 10 pieces that were your best. You, you pinned a reel that is a reel of your best work, you know, a case study of all these different pieces of what you do and you pin that to the top. Like what if you redefine social media in a different way, even if it's staying on the same platform? And then writers, you know, what about podcasting uh, for writers? I thought about how you could, uh, you know, for me personally, we're probably going to dive into this a little bit deeper throughout this year because I think there's a lot to go at here because in the same way that artists or musicians have a hard time showing up on Spotify imperfectly um, and treating it like social media. I think the same is true for podcasts for some reason. And in my experience, podcasts aren't the place for perfectly crafted things. You know, I, we, we, we could literally script every single thing that I say. We could edit out, you know, I have an editor that works on the show. We could have Connor Hello. edit out every single um, and I'm sure he does edit out some of them, but we don't edit out all of them because that's not what a podcast is. It's not an audio book. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, okay, it's not an audio book, but it is kind of what well, audiobooks are to books, it is to blogs. And a lot of people are like, "We're oh man, they're taking our blogs. <laughs> but I don't think they took them anywhere. That kind of material is so much better to consume in a lot of ways in our busy times, that long form content that we all enjoy, but we don't have infinite amount of time to consume. We can consume that stuff while we're washing the dishes. And all of a sudden, washing the dishes is better and consuming blog-style content is also better. And why I bring that up for writers is not just, you know, content creators, but also filmmakers. Like fiction podcasts are a huge thing. And we're going to even talk about how you could be more intentional and strategic with a podcast if you are a writer, but what would it look like if you showed up and used podcasting as social media um, and redefine it that way? Quick shout out to the sponsors that we love, uh, Font Self. If you've ever wanted to make a font, but you thought type designers are scary. Well, you're right. They are scary, but Font Self isn't. Font Self is an extremely easy to use app where you can make a font right on your iPad or you can do it how I did it. There's a companion uh, tool that you can download and work within, right within Adobe Illustrator. Uh, you can make a font in, in 30 minutes. That is is great for branding all of your creative stuff online. We built a font to use on the thumbnails of our YouTube videos that we've been doing. Go check out FontSelf in the App Store. It's a one-time payment. It's not a subscription-based thing. And they do really great work. Uh, we discovered them, used them, and then started talking about um, them being a sponsor of the show so we could tell all of you about it. So go check them out. Font Self in the App Store. Also, a big shout out to our sponsors, you. If you are a patron of the show, we are partially listener supported. You know, there's a ton of, you wouldn't believe all the little costs of running a podcast of the size of this show, whether it's the email newsletter, the hosting for both the site and the podcast, the editing, all of the, you know, the hard drives. 
um, just just to keep track of this show. It, it adds up. And so we thoroughly appreciate our patrons of this show. If you can't afford to support the show financially, that's fine. Like, we make this show to help you thrive as a human. Don't support us if you can't afford it. But if you can afford a couple bu- bucks a month to um, support our uh, show, we really appreciate it. Patreon.com slash creative pep talk. And um, you can give a couple bucks per episode. And that gets you exclusive um, little mini pep talks that I share on there sometimes, as well as started to do some meetups. Um, we did one at the end of last year. We're going to do a quarterly. We're going to try to do quarterly ones. We just, um, we're going to, we're going to schedule one for the 17th of February at 10 a.m. EST creative pepperoni pizza for breakfast is what we're currently calling it. And it was just kind of, it was a small group of people on zoom, hanging out, chatting about creative career stuff. And it was, um, it was just a lot of fun. And we want to kind of stimulate the community side of this show because when we've been able to do that, whether it's meetups in person or meetups online, it's been incredible to create a space where creators can connect. Because as you know, I even spoke about it in this episode that that is the number one thing. And so if you're looking for people, like-minded creators, if you like the show, the people that also like the show might be your people. Um, go sign up, patreon.com slash creative pep talk. And um, massive thanks to all of you who already support the show. If you can't support financially, we're, we're, that's totally fine. But we would really appreciate it if you would share it with creatives that you know that might like it or give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts because that helps us more to, to be more visible in the podcast app and um, connect with more creators like you. Thanks. So every episode of this show, we don't just give you uh, an inspiring kind of story or idea. We give you an idea that you can put to action and we even suggest a particular way how to put that new idea to practice. So this is your creative call to adventure, your CTA, your call to action. Here it is. Forget the masses and name one true patron. So the reason that I think so many of us want to succeed on Instagram and TikTok and, and, and places like that is because those social media outlets are where the masses are. That's where the people are. We want to go to where the people are, right? Like that makes sense. You want people to connect with your work? Where are the people? Let's go. I get it. But what if even that is maybe a, a misconception? What if we need to redefine what we mean by success? Because what if in order for you to succeed truly, whatever that might mean to you as a creator, you don't need the masses. You don't need to connect with them. You don't need to be where they are. And so we've talked a lot about redefining what social media is for yourself. And we've talked about on the show in the past about redefining success. You know, we've, we've talked about as a creator, you probably don't need a million fans anymore. And you maybe never needed that in the first place. But instead, shoot for something closer to what the Wired Magazine founder Kevin Kelly calls the 100 true fan idea, which we won't dive in deep into. We've explored that pretty thoroughly in the past. But the basic principle is lots of us think that we need a million fans in order to be successful as a creator. or We need 100,000 followers to be successful as a creator. But Kevin Kelly would say, no, you only need a thousand true fans. You only need a thousand people spending a hundred bucks on your work a year to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, which is a fine salary that I think a lot of creators would be more than happy to uh, live on and, and um, survive on. So uh, yes, that's true. We've talked about that in the past quite a bit, but I want to take it even further because the more I've thought about this 
And the more that I have connected to creators who seem to be building and, and living within really thriving creative practices, they don't even have a thousand true fans. Most of them only have 10, 20 true fans. And I'm going to call them true patrons because I don't think this is even a new thing. You know, if you look back all throughout history, artists that were thriving, a lot of them just had a few people that really, really bought into what they did. And that's also true today. And it's not just true for illustrators that do client work that have, you know, 10 true patrons, 10 art directors that hire them on a semi-regular basis for $10,000 a job, like th those bigger business to business projects. It's not just them. It's also people like Waxahachie. So if you go on Waxahachie's social media profile on Spotify, see how we're we're really building that out. We're, we're helping um, redefine it in our minds, how we think about the different spaces online. If you go on her profile, you're going to see the El Defo soundtrack, which was the songs that she created for the Apple TV show. It's a kid's show and she created all the music for it. And guess what? That was probably patronage. That was probably paid for by Apple as a bigger job as a type of almost music syncing. And what would it look like if instead of trying to go where the masses are, instead of trying to amass an enormous fandom, you just thought about who are the types of people that could give me the opportunity that, that could fall in love with my creative practice, that where I would only need 10 to 20 of those people to be true fans or true patrons for my creative practice to get off the ground. You know, the best part of that for me is not that it's easier than trying to get a thousand true fans or trying to get a million fans. It That is great. And that's a huge part of it. But ultimately it does two other things that I think are really powerful. The first one is it allows you in your mind to niche down who you're making for. And there's a book that I read called Make Noise by Eric Newsom. He's a guy from NPR and, and uh, Amazon podcast, and he knows a lot about podcasts. And one of the practices in the book that he has you do is he asks you to go Google search to find your listener for your podcast. Now, I did this practice for this podcast, but I did it, you know, eight years into the show. So I didn't need to come up with a hypothetical one. I just put pictures of people, not just one, but I'd made a little grid of the people that I've met over the years that exemplify why I create this show. They're exactly who I make this show for. And it was so enlightening because it made me realize like, oh, the people I make this show for, it's not really about creative careers. It's not really about uh, that they're super creative and, and most of them are really creative. It's not, but it's not about that. What it is, is these are people who felt as if they had no choice but to create their own path. Like the paths that were in front of them, that were given to them, that were uh, prefabbed for your everyday person in our society didn't work for those people. It could be neurodivergence of some kind, ADHD, dyslexia, autism, all these different types. Um, it could be class. It could be race. It could be gender. It could be sexual orientation. All these different reasons why the paths, the normal paths, the, the wide paths that are set before them do not work for them. And so creativity isn't just a nice to have for them. It's a must because they don't have an option other than creating their own way that is custom fit to the unusual, you know, outlier type that they are. And it started to change how I thought about the show. And it actually brought a lot of passion and insight about the type of episodes that I wanted to craft. And so I really believe that it's nearly impossible to make for millions of people like it you're going to end up with something that is so watered down. I call it buttered spaghetti. It's not even good buttered spaghetti. I'm talking no salt. I'm talking uh, dairy-free, gluten-free, buttered spaghetti. 
uh, that will fill people up. Sure. I mean, you could call it music. You could call it a podcast. You could call it illustration, but nobody's pumped about it. But when you dig down to one true patron, the person that you're like, this person could change my quarter one of this year by giving me an opportunity and creating for that person. All of a sudden, you have a lot of specificity to go at. You can make your work not just something for the masses, but a gift for a particular person. And it really makes all the difference. You know, for me personally, almost every time I start creating one of these episodes, I have to tell my daughter who's 14 or my wife or, or Ryan, my, my agent manager, um, or, or the editor or somebody, I got to find somebody to explain my idea to, because there's something about having a person there that you're creating for that informs you in a human way. When I try to come record here without testing out the idea and thinking about in real time in front of somebody, how would I explain this? I struggle to be human when it doesn't connect to another human. And so this is a way you can do that, that yes, will work. Well, has a potential to actually make a dramatic difference in your creative practice overnight. So if you're a musician, maybe that looks like who could buy my music to sync on TV or sync for a commercial or, or, you know, instead of selling millions of streams to pay my rent one time, uh, selling one, the license of one song to pay my rent for three months to one person. Like it is a game changer. And so I say, forget the millions of fans, forget a thousand true fans, just go down to 10, go down to where are those 10 people? And I would suggest finding uh, one person, a real human on the platform, the social media platform that you're going to choose, be it Spotify, Pinterest, yeah, sure, Instagram, podcast, whatever. Go find that actual human that has the potential to be one of those 10 true patrons. Find a picture of them and find them on that platform and start making stuff for them with them in mind because they can change your practice overnight. And, um, and guess what? Over time, you can add other layers to it. You could create a podcast, yeah, that where you only need 10 listeners as long as they're the right listeners. And that, that could be true for, you know, if you're a writer, let's say you, you write young adult YA romance novels. You could create a podcast where the first 10 minutes are the next chapter in your YA romance no novel. And the last 30 minutes are you chatting with somebody from the YA romance community, be it editors at publishing houses or other YA readers or YA writers and start building out the collaborations with people on that social media platform, however you choose to define it. But, you know, you, illustrators, you only need 10 to 20 illustration clients a year. What would it look like if you did collabs with other illustrators and created a, a folder on Pinterest and created all those pins? And so, yeah, I think the great news is this is much more doable. Uh, even better than that is that it's, it's not an end. It's the start because from my limited knowledge of the social phenomenon that is diffusion of innovation, which is just a fancy way of saying how ideas spread, it always starts with a diehard group of a small diehard group of people that have fell in love with a thing that was so perfect for them that they go out and sell it to people like them because it feels like a gift to give that kind of thing away, right? When you really fall for something, you want to tell people that like you about that thing and then they become your best marketers. And so those 10 clients, those 10 B2B patrons, business to business, you doing work with other businesses, selling services to them as a freelancer or licensing stuff to them as a, as a freelancer, those 10 clients, they turn into a bigger group of people. And all of a sudden you can scale what you're doing a little bit with things like concerts. So the clients, and then there's concerts and you sell one thing one time to lots of people at the same time. So that could be a podcast sponsorship, right? Like you're only making that, you're only selling that sponsorship one time, but you can sell it 
to, uh, you can sell it for more money because you've scaled it to 3000 people. Right. And then once you do that over time, those 10 clients turn into 3000 people at the concert, at the podcast, and then those 3000 people become 30,000 or become 50,000. And all of a sudden you've got passive income and you can sell one thing a bunch of time times to loads of people. And maybe then you're making some money off streams, probably not a ton, but uh, merch and, or, or selling books or selling classes or selling posters. And that now you've got a really healthy ecosystem, but it all starts with the call to adventure today just go find one of those 10 true patrons on the social media platform that as you defined it and get a picture of them, go find them, go connect to them, go follow them and start plugging yourself into that ecosystem. I wanted to give you a practical episode of the show before we go into some more uh, abstract ideas, bigger philosophical kind of stuff on the show over the next couple weeks in our new series. And um, that question from Olivia set that up so well. So I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to leave you here in a slightly different way than we usually do which is with one of Olivia's songs that I really love called Happy New Year. Appropriate for the season. Uh, if you're, I, look, I'm not a, a music expert, but to me, it's got a little bit of Smith's vibes. It also reminds me of like uh, my favorite Christmas song uh, by Low, which is called Just Like Christmas. It feels like the Happy New Year equivalent. I think that's such a... Um, a cool thing because A, I am obsessed with that song and B, I'm happy to have a, a new year a sister kind of vibe. And then also it just feels like good creative pep talky type vibe to like kind of pick up the torch because um, the singer of Low actually passed away, I think in 2022, uh, Mimi Parker. And um, it just feels, it feels appropriate or someone like Olivia to uh, to be um, picking up that creative torch. I don't even know if Olivia likes the band Low um, or knows that Christmas song, but um, I'm happy to have like a, a New Year's uh, a, a equivalent vibe, which is just a melancholy holiday vibe, <laughs> which is usually uh, kind of how I experience these things. So I'm going to leave you with that song. But... Uh, Massive shout out to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Connor Jones for the sound design and editing of the show. Thanks to Ryan Appleton, Katie Chandler, and Sophie Miller for all po other podcast assistants and podcast related things. And, um, and thanks to Olivia Rafferty. Um, go follow her on Spotify for such a well thought out question and for a new melancholy New Year's Eve anthem, which uh, I'll leave you with now. But until we speak again, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.